0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN.
1: And good afternoon. It's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest. And this is the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And today we have a guest on the Bose Nose Show. We have Bob Snedden, the former news director and on-air personality at KCST Coast Radio in Florence. Bob, how you doing? i'm doing well thanks for having me on Ah, uh, bet bet it's a little bit different i've been on your show and now this i get to interview you for a change is it is it make you nervous to be the interviewee
0: no actually it doesn't because uh, i'm just happy to be in a conversation and upright
1: yep well that's great well i just want to remind folks if they want to ask bob a question or me a question they can call into the show at 646-721-9887 uh, six, six, eight, eight, and press 1 and that lets our my call screener Robin know that you want to get in on the show so again that's 646-721-9887 six, six, eight, eight, and press 1 and that lets Robin know you want to get in on the show so Bob I wanted to start out with just how you ended up getting into um, radio and news in the first place. I mean, did, did you grow up in Florence and, and then how did you end up at. I up in,
0: yeah, I did grow up in Florence and I'd, uh, I've done a couple of different things here in town and, uh, I know I've known John Thompson, the owner and general manager of coast radio since they went on the air in 88 and had done a few commercials and stuff. And, um, he needed a host for the monthly community forum program. And that was in I think about ninety nine ninety eight somewhere in there, and so I started doing that, plus working on Saturdays just kind of a little spare time stuff and then a couple of years later, his news director left, and he uh he had an opening and a position, and uh, he offered it to me and it was uh it, it was a good fit
1: great so that it, it was kind of just uh just knowing that the owner of the radio station. Yeah, you know, what were you doing before you started that part-time job? What was your What was your job then?
0: Well, I was I was selling insurance uh, for seven years. I uh, worked with Able Insurance Agency, and uh, before that, I uh, had what I call the lost decade, where I was in the car business. <laughs> and uh, a lot of folks in Lane County uh, may remember Uncle Bud Chevrolet in uh, Cottage Grove. And uh, I hmm. was, his, I was Uncle Bud's very last employee way back in
1: 1991,
0: so. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So uh, I've, I've done, a little uh, bit of done a variety of things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't go to school for um, journalism or,
0: you know, no, be in media. No, no. Uh, as a matter yeah. of fact, the. The, the the news part was uh, the biggest challenge for me early on because I had no formal training in that. But uh, I I had been a, a very busy and active consumer of radio uh, for many many years. I I will I would rather listen to uh, a baseball game or a football game on the radio than watch it on TV. In same way with I would rather listen to talking heads sometimes i listen to a lot of podcasts and uh not so much on opinionated talk radio but uh, i do i would rather listen to people talking about different subjects rather than even music sometimes
1: yeah yeah i've I've done similar i you know got into the uh uh audio books um while i was doing yeah. some indoor painting you know and it's just I, much <laughs> much rather yeah. sometimes you know listen listen to some of those especially really well done audio books um yeah so i i get that
0: i've been involved in a lot of things in the community over the years years too and i think that that helped me connect with from the from the news standpoint i i was on the planning commission in florence for a total of about 12 years over two different stints i was a volunteer firefighter in the community for 27 years and uh Chamber of Commerce and all kinds of different things. So I, you know, I, I was not the shrinking violet, I think, that some people may think I am.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, kind of got you, you know, those contacts and being familiar with the community, I guess helped out with that community forum program when he, when he first hired you to do.
0: Right. And, uh, and it, that helped, uh, I, cause I made a lot of con contacts and I've, never was bashful and you probably will attest to this i was never bashful about calling somebody and just saying hey this is bob and i you know i have a couple questions i'd like to ask you about this or that or would you come talk to me and and uh so just reaching out and, and knowing who to call sometimes it's a it's a, a little bit of a challenge to to develop some leads and contacts but uh, once you get the list of people to call it's it's, it's, it's a little easier. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I remember the first time I think I was on the radio with you was when I was running for Lane community college board and you had a, a candidates forum down there that brought yes. you broadcast live on, yeah. on KCST and, and you were the I moderator. A lot of those so. over
0: the, yeah. As a matter of fact, my, my last, uh well not really my last because i'm still doing like football games and high school basketball games and stuff like that but in may i did a candidates forum down here there were a lot of contested races for fire and ambulance and different boards and and school board and stuff and so that was one of my last things i did that was my last our town program that i hosted and i it was a special three-hour show at the florence event center and uh there's a lot of it's interesting it's always a lot of fun
1: Yep. Yeah, and that was a, that was an interesting election cycle for Florence. Uh, you know, the May election wasn't too big in a lot of areas of, of uh, Lane County, but Florence sure had its share of, of issues going. It seemed like, you know, if you were just to look at the ballot and didn't understand what was going on in the background, it might not have seemed so apparent, but things like the uh, port commissioners and the uh, fire district and ambulance district boards had a lot of Background issues going behind, you know, which candidates were supporting which initiatives, et cetera. Um, that yeah. really uh, those races,
0: <laughs> right? And uh, you know, the the long time familiarity with all the players and in the community and the history uh, made it made it easier to understand some of those issues. And my challenge over the years has always. How to translate that understanding so that other people can uh, can share that knowledge and understanding as well.
1: Yeah, it's always kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I, I approach this program somewhat the same way. Is as, as I, I have to always remember the average person's not as plugged in as I am, and and probably the same thing as you covered news. You know, for Sixteen mm-hmm. years, basically down there in Florence, they don't get all the nuances. They don't know who all the players are and what the background issues. And it's and it's being able to bring those out to the public in a way they can understand and and remembering that the public doesn't have the background knowledge. It's kind of important in radio, you know, and it's kind of why it makes radio a great medium to listen to because it just like football games and and. Bas- and Uh, baseball games are far better, I think, on the radio than they are to watch on TV. Um, It's, it's all that explanation that, that a radio person without the pitcher has to do that makes radio seem so vibrant. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I talked to a lot of, a lot of people who uh, were deep in the throes of some of the governmental issues and, and, technocrats I would I maybe would refer to them some of them sometime and and there were all there are always a lot of acronyms and that was one of the things I always tried to do when somebody would drop a few acronyms or a shorthand term for something I would make them stop and explain what that was uh, because hmm. not everybody listening would understand that I know when I'm listening to somebody and they use a term that I don't understand I I always appreciate it when somebody Takes the time to explain what that is.
1: So. Yeah. So was there, was there a favorite example of an acronym somebody dropped on the air that that um, you remember? Were-
0: <laughs> oh man, there are so many favorite acronyms everywhere. Um, that's a really good question, Jay. Um, I'm gonna, you know, sometimes when they're dealing with legislative issues, especially or. Uh, zoning issues but I mean I would hear people refer to you know a lot of times when it dealt with budgeting and staffing issues um, some budget people whether it's a school district or government agency would would say well that's that gives us uh, 12.5 FTE and Mm-hmm. I'd have to say, well, well, what does that mean? What is, you know, and well, FTE, a full-time equivalent. And they were basically talking about staffing and employees at that point. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, FTE and, is and, a pretty and, common and, one, just biased budget geeks, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you hear that all the time in that setting. Uh, but for most people who don't go through, sit in on budget processes, uh they may not know exactly what that means you know. yeah and and each each different government agency or political subdivision has their own nomenclature, whether it's if you're dealing with a school issue or you're dealing with a county, city, or state or uh, one of the special districts and And they have their own special language and uh, acronyms and abbreviations that that they know what they're talking about. Uh, And sometimes Mm -hmm. they lose sight of the fact that just the common ordinary Joe has no clue what they're saying.
1: Uh, ODOT seems to have a language all to itself. Um,
0: Oh, uh, see, there's an acronym
1: right there. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, But most people know
1: ODOT's or the Department of Transportation. Yes, yes.
0: Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, there's a lot of people know what ODOT is now these days. Yeah, yeah. Um but you're absolutely right. And they do uh have they have their own language. Yeah. 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 The one
1: that, that probably got me the most was uh, I started to uh serve on, on the Local Public Safety Coordinating Council, which is a statutorily required um, organization and meant to coordinate um, community corrections money uh, from the state and also now deals with justice reinvestment monies. But you want to talk about a group full of acronyms. When you get a bunch of folks that are dealing with some of these programs from the state, they they all refer to them not even by the letters, but by some you know, word that, that sounds like what the letters are, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, the,
1: that's well, I herb, mean, whatever that. You
0: know. Yeah. Uh, you know, one uh, kind of an example of that here in the Florence area, uh, several years ago, there was a consortium of, of public safety agencies and not all were public safety, just some of them were public agencies. Uh, they decided, and there's a great, a great effort. They decided to come together and do some some long-range planning and preparation for disaster preparedness. And the, the earthquake and tsunami issues um, kind of prompted the whole thing. And the group got together and they they formed a bureaucratic name, and it's the Westlane Emergency Operations Group. And the, the acronym the handle they gave to it was WeLog. And it, I dare say that for probably the first 10 to 12 years of existence, most people in the community had no idea, A, that it even existed, and B, what we log meant. Uh, but, uh, they've been doing really good work over the past few years, and they've been advertising what their purpose is, because that's one of the main purposes of the group, I believe, is to, to make sure people are aware of disaster preparedness. But, uh, but that's an example of how you can get into the bureaucraties and talk about things and and you really have to know the language.
1: The first time I saw WeLog uh, and and heard that term, I was kind of like, What what's that group? And and is that a county group or, you know? And, and I, yeah. I, it was explained to me later on, but yeah, had that same thing happen. So, so I imagine in the news, you've come across a lot of acronyms and a lot of different agencies and all that. Yeah, um, Yeah. and I imagine you get, you've gotten to cover a lot of real um, personal stories there in in the Florence area.
0: Yeah, and, you, know, you know, I've I've seen I've seen a lot of changes in the community, and and I think some of the things that that made it easier for me in the long run to do that job. I did it for 16 years. Was the fact that I had I had sat uh, in many of the positions. Or experience many of the things that the people I was talking with, what they were doing, I had been there and done a lot of that. You know, I, like I said, I served on the Planning Commission, served on the Planning Commission in the late 80s here in Florence, and then again uh, through the mid 90s uh, during times of some pretty active development. And so. I, you know, when I go to talk to somebody who's on a city council or, or you know staff member at city hall or somebody who's on a planning commission, I know what what they're dealing with, and I like to think that gave me a little bit of an advantage because when I'd ask a question, they usually I knew what I was talking about because I'd experienced it or I had enough understanding of it, and they all expressed appreciation for that sort of thing, and it allowed them to i could ask an intelligent question and they could give a really good response that way Uh, and likewise there were times i could ask a question and i didn't get a very good response and and that made it a little awkward at times but it uh, you know part of my job was to let people know what was going on and if they really thought the people that were running things or running for things uh, would be able to do a good job so and sometimes it it gave uh, those officials uh kind of a wake up call where they would make some changes i mean uh there were many times yeah. i sat in in meetings and <laughs> i would get a question from the staff or the elected officials about is this how we're supposed to do this or what should we do here <laughs> and, and there were a couple of times when i spoke up at meetings uh and unfortunately had to remind folks of the open meetings laws and what they were talking about or considering doing did not necessarily uh, qualify or or meet the criteria that that set out in Oregon law. They, you know, maybe sometimes it's it's human nature not to want to talk about difficult things in public, and so there were times yeah. when when they would they would do that and that and that's why the press is there one reason why the press is there is to sit in and say hey listen uh, you know i saw my role as, as not say hey you guys can't do this but i saw my role and a couple times particularly when i said uh, just want to let you guys know that i don't believe the conversation you just had is covered under the executive session portion of the open meetings law and i just want to let you know that i will be reporting on this tomorrow uh, because it's not yeah. my job to make them do it right. But it was yeah. my job to, to say, hey, if you're not doing it right, this is what I, you know. I'm going to report on it. So, yeah. yeah, And there were a couple times when a public meeting, and it was mostly just uh, inadvertent uh, because they'd had maybe a staff member who just did things automatically, and maybe that staff member wasn't available or was no longer there. But there were a couple times uh, during the budget season especially where they'd have a budget committee meeting, Uh, one agency I saw that they had a budget committee meeting and then they they adjourned the meeting and said okay we're going to reopen a board meeting here and and I said well but you haven't advertised for one and uh, a couple of the board members expressed surprise that they were having a board meeting also and the answer i got was well yeah. we've always done it this way and and my response was well you may have always done it this way but you had somebody that was in charge of making sure that it was published and and the public had adequate notice so in that case they i yeah. said okay we won't have a meeting so
1: yeah 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 pretty funny so you've probably witnessed what you know several different uh mayors of florence a uh, couple different county commissioners for west lane uh, uh uh probably a couple score of city councilors and 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 far more uh port commissioners uh fire district board members school board members and all that stuff do you have yeah, a i did a, a
0: particular,
1: particular particular elected official that kind of sticks in your head for
0: you know for <laughs> For one reason, a couple of <laughs> well, it, know, two yeah. that I'd rather not talk about publicly than stick in my head. Uh, I did. I went through I think six Florence city managers, uh, six Sayula school districts, probably four Mapleton school or school superintendents, uh, two, three, four mayors. Because we had one mayor, Phil Brubaker, that served for a good long time through there, and of course, Joe Henry is in his uh, second term right now I think. Um, There are a few uh, officials uh, and I will uh, Roger Bennett who was a Florence City Manager uh, for about five years, 15 years ago to about 10 years ago, he stands out as one who brought a level of professionalism uh, and his predecessor uh, and I can't recall his name was a good city manager, but Roger just brought a whole nother dimension to it and started what I saw as the the renaissance in Florence city government uh, that took a few years but it it morphed and progressed and right now I think Florence city government is the most transparent uh, of any I've ever seen and the most dialed into the community um, And I really think Roger started that. And he also started the process of looking within for uh, key positions. And and I saw that work well in the manager's position. Um, I saw that work at the the school district, uh, looking within to fill some key positions there. Uh, The current superintendent, Andy is. Uh, I think he's doing an outstanding job. He's dialed into the community and gets it. Uh, uh, that you know we need to we don't run and hide from the press. And his predecessor, Ethel, uh, w- was the same way. And I can't say that of all school superintendents I've dealt with. A lot of times you would get educational ease or, well, I can't talk to you about that or just nice sometimes you know when you're getting platitudes and uh, people giving you a spiel, and it's a stump speech almost, and they're not really telling you anything other than just general generalities, and, and uh, they, it gives you the impression that they're hiding something. They're not most of the time, but that's the way it comes across. And Ethel and... Uh, uh, Andy Griscoiak at the school district, uh, current city manager, uh, is, is doing Aaron Reynolds, is, uh, you know, some of us because maybe I've developed a pretty good relationship, and, and so they're open with me, um, and they're not afraid to speak frankly and clearly, uh, because they also know I understand, and I can filter some of that stuff. I don't take it verbatim and and give them a quote i'm not looking for a sensational quote i'm looking to to get information and make sure people understand what's happening in the community and how it affects them so i talk a lot sometimes too
1: yeah and I, yeah and i appreciated you know you know my interviews with you and, and when i we did a quick phone interview here here and there throughout the years um to get a reaction to or a you know a quote on a particular story you weren't looking for the sensational which i always appreciated you were really looking for information to give out to the folks in the florence area so kind of steering a little bit away from government you probably covered a lot of um, personal stories and human interest stories uh what are what are some of the most you know moving stories you remember covering
0: oh wow you know there's always the stories of the the tragedies, the accidents, stuff like that. But one of my favorites, and I kind of get choked up talking about it, um, and I, I cannot remember the young man's name. I'll go through my list of awards and certificates that I got because I actually won a story from uh, an award from Associated Press on it. There was a young boy, I think he was about five years old, and uh, he was camping with family friends up at uh, Washburn State Park. And he wandered away. He was just playing. He wandered away from the campsite, like, you know, late afternoon, early evening. And they spent that evening looking for him in the woods outside Washburn Park. And they finally called in search and rescue. And it wasn't until the next morning, uh, maybe early afternoon, almost 24 hours after he'd been gone, they found him safe he just you know and that little kid had covered a lot of ground Uh, a lot of it straight up and straight down through some heavy underbrush and they finally found him about a mile and a half away from the campground Uh, but it generated a lot of attention statewide and uh, you know a lot of lot of concern, but I covered that story and I was able to cover it quickly. And I fed stuff to AP in Portland and I fed, of course, that stuff on the air uh, here in town. And it was, you know, that was a story with a really, really happy ending. Uh, Unfortunately, didn't always see stuff like that.
1: Yeah. But I imagine it it, while it was they hadn't found him yet. Talking with the, the, the parents and relatives must have been very emotional.
0: Yeah, it was pretty tough. And talking with some of the searchers, and you know, you everybody was optimistic, but uh, and, and the kid just vanished without a trace. And you know, first they'd locked down the campground and and wouldn't let any other vehicles in or out. And they searched every vehicle in the campground. And then they finally just realized that hey, the and you know it's not too far to the highway so they were afraid that he had made his way to the highway and somebody had picked him up but he just he went cross-country and i tell you what and he was a pretty tough kid uh but he was a little hungry and cold and tired by the time they got him too but i've covered uh right. my favorite stories were the were the the good ones that i liked i like to shine some light on things and i, I frankly i'm i've drawn a blank on some of them but uh you know, uh, sometimes how the community would come together uh, after certain things that would go on. Maybe it was an accident, somebody was severely injured, or maybe a death or a fire or something like that. And just how the community, uh, once they got a hold of something like this and learned about it, just what they did to come together uh, to to support other people in the community. Those were the stories. and. And I can think of three or four, uh, just right off the top of my head, where I saw that happen. Um, and it was, it was good. It was fun to be involved in that as we went along, and it was, it was also very satisfying. One particular one, I'll tell you, Kaylee Graham and the power of Florence here in Florence, which was just a week and a half ago here in town on the 15th, third Saturday in July, when Kaylee was, I don't know, 11, 12 years old told her mom she wanted to have a garage sale to help uh, raise money for the food chair or something like that, I think it was. And uh, her mom said, well, why don't you think of something bigger? So she brainstormed, and she just put together a day of volunteering. And this kid, she went to the city council, got a resolution. She got it organized, the whole thing. And she got dozens of groups and individuals together to all do, everybody would get the the idea was that on the third Saturday in July, all these people would go do something good for somebody else. And it's gone on, I think this was the sixth year here, and uh, Kaylee is moving on because she's done with high school, uh, and she's passed it on uh, to, uh, I can't remember the young girl's first name, Glowaki is her last name, and, and she's Going to take it on, and hopefully it's going to be a, a tradition that continues here in Florence. But it was all stirred because the kid said, "Hey, I want to help somebody out." So we got everybody yeah. involved.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and I remember talking to Haley that. With, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: I remember talking to uh, some about Haley of the fun things. First.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but our little lag and delay is is a little awkward sometimes, so if I, if I walk over you. Uh, some of, several of the things that we got involved in when I was uh, working full-time with the radio station, uh, my favorite things to do was the, you know, the classic car cruise uh, on roadie festival weekend. Um, I organized and put that together for, for many years, and that's always a lot of fun uh, uh, to do that and, and see the, the same people in the same cars uh, every year come through and, and, uh, and look around in Old Town Florence especially with the number of people who would look forward to that event and come down and watch the old cars. And, you know, that I, I had just one small part in it because the firefighters would do a lot uh, and uh, all the people that owned the cars would, you know, would do an awful lot of work. And I got to sit in the middle and talk about it. And uh, it was just a lot of fun to do that. The annual drive-in movie that we did here in Florence, unfortunately we're not going to do any more because just uh, logistically it isn't working out. But we, Miller Park used to be a drive-in movie theater here in Florence. And uh, the guy whose family used to own and operate it along with Harbor Theater many, many years ago here in town called me one time. And uh, he said, hey, Bob, I want to bring the roto drive-in back for one night. This was about six years ago, and so we put it together. It was going to be just a one-time deal. We'd put up a temporary screen. He would bring a a high-powered projector down, and we would project a movie on the screen, and people would sit in their cars in Miller Park and watch the movie. Well, it was was such a big response that we did it a total of six times. uh the screen and the projector that we had available for it's all professional quality stuff was no longer available so unfortunately last september was the, the last one we we got to do but that was always a lot of fun because there'd be you know three four hundred people would come in and sit in their cars and and watch the drive-in movie for one night
1: yeah well I'm old enough to remember having gone to a drive-in theater with my parents where they had us in the back seat in our pajamas um, of the station wagon, you know, with the seats down and a mattress down there so we could fall asleep watching That Darn Cat from Walt Disney. um, Yeah. In a drive-in movie theater.
0: (laughs) My wife and I, way back in 1979, that was our first date, was – the Rotary Drive-In here in Florence and it was The Seven Voyages of Sinbad and Alien. I can still remember the movie. <laughs> uh, and mid, midway through I got called to the snack bar. You know, at the old days you'd, you'd, they'd do an announcement uh, over the audio of the movie and they would you know, so-and-so come to the snack bar. So it was, Bob, Sneddon, not come to the snack bar, please? And I, what was up with that? So I went to the snack bar and it was uh, a couple of the friends of uh my date, who, who is now my, my wife, uh, who just were there, they were just there to remind me that uh, to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, she was embarrassed because somebody was uh, was meddling in that, but uh, it was fun. It was small town stuff, a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, you yeah, know, that's kind of great about, you know, being a part of KCST is you got to continue that small town stuff. Um what were you know you covered the, the 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 lost child what were some of the other really uh, not so much you know the your favorite stories but what you would consider the biggest news stories that you actually got to cover um that came out of Florence
0: Wow uh you know you, you <laughs> I don't have much of a short-term memory and so uh, uh, you know that's a really good question I could I could go back and and uh, search through my files. That's a really good question, and uh, I've just drawn a blank, but I'm trying to think of some of the things that we did. Um, oh, gosh. Um, you know, some of, the, some of the blue-green algae blooms, and this wasn't necessarily a favorite, but this is notable. Sometimes, you know, in Silco's Lake, there'd be a blue-green algae bloom. And that impacted uh, recreation. A lot of people get their drinking water out of Silcoose Lake, and just how that tied in with other—that uh, wasn't something that was unique just to Silcoose Lake or just to the Florence and Dune City area. And anytime I cover something like that, I tried to to make those ties that this is a much larger issue than just what's affecting us here right now. Conversely we would run into things where if it was a national story, um, and I'll give you a case in point, uh, the Sandy Hook shooting the elementary school, there was no direct tie to Florence, but one of the first things that I did when, while that was going on was I called uh, the folks at, at the Saisal School District and I wound up talking with a few of them over there, you know, how does this affect you guys? And uh, you know, how does it make your kids feeling, and how does it make your staff feeling, and how do you deal with these? And, and there were some pretty emotional conversations that I had, uh, that I, you know, had to, that I got to share with some of the listeners about something that happened 3,000 miles away from here, did not have any direct impact, but nonetheless did have an impact because you know we're we're all dialed in globally. And those things do, uh, even though we didn't know those people personally, uh, you know, you felt like you knew them. Same way with the Umqua Community College shooting a couple of years ago. Um, And it really hit home with me when I realized that one of the young men who was killed in that, you know, one of my favorite things to do uh, and has been to do that I'm continuing, is to broadcast high school football and basketball games. And... I'm looking through the list of the people who were shot and killed in Roseburg at Humboldt Community College and there was one name that was that was popping up that looked familiar and I realized uh, he went to Sutherland High School and I had called his name out many many times uh, at, at basketball games when I was broadcasting them so you know you see what happened in Sandy Hook with all those Elementary kids and young kids and 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 the impacts it had and you see it here in Oregon and the impacts it has and and you you realize that everybody's got a connection one way or another. So, but I tried to take yeah, those types yeah. of stories and and turn them into okay, how does this affect us locally? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I also tried I, to take I, I, it. I tr- I also tried to take it so that and talk about tell the story about okay this happened there what are we doing here to prevent or respond to something like that if it were to happen in our community and Tom Turner uh, local police chief or the new the new police chief and he's been here for three or four years now former Lincoln <laughs> County Sheriff Tom brought it in and not just Tom but before him the uh, they they were bringing it up at the Florence Police Department the city of Florence and and working on security issues with the school district. So I was able to take something that happened tragic somewhere else and talk about, talk with local people about it and share that about how we're preparing for that sort of thing and responding for that sort of thing. So I did have one story that yep. uh, went national, a couple of stories that went national that I reported on, and one of them came from the guy that's sitting in the desk I'm sitting at right now. Uh, you know, as your, your listeners may not know, uh, you know, when I stepped away from radio, I just, I had another life opportunity, and I took it, and I'm managing Roby's Furniture and Appliance here in Florence, and so mattresses, furniture, appliances, all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a retail sales culture and something I've been in before. It wasn't something I was looking for, but it's been about, oh, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, on a rainy winter day, Dustin Herring, who was sitting used to manage the store here, they looked out on the highway and there was a mama duck and a whole bunch of baby ducks uh, trying to cross Highway 101, two lanes each direction with a with a refuge lane in the middle, and uh, they were able to. They went out and helped. Uh, get mama duck off the highway and the baby ducks off the highway and get them all together in a box. And they took them uh, several blocks away to a vacant area and let them go. But uh, I was—I talked to Dustin and interviewed him at his story. And it was one of those things that national news wires were quiet that day, I guess, and it picked up and went national. And so Dustin was getting phone calls from, you know, radio producers in Portland and uh, on the East Coast and wanted to talk to him about that. And, And one of the biggest things I got was, did you get pictures? I'm like, well, I'm radio. (laughs) I didn't know I didn't get pictures.
1: Yeah. So it looks like, Robin, do we have somebody holding with a question for Bob? Uh Uh-oh.
0: I believe we do. We'll go ahead and just bring him on live.
1: All right. All right, caller,
0: you're on the line with Bob and Jay Bolchevich.
1: Oh, and they dropped as soon as you put them on the show.
0: All right. Well, caller, if you, uh, if you want, give us a call back. If you just want to listen, do not press 1. And the reminder to people that do want to give us a call, 646-721-9887. You can listen live. And if you do want to
1: join us on the program, again, just press 1. It gives you instructions when you call, and we'll bring you online. And anyways, back to Bob and Jay. Yeah. Thanks, Robin. Thank you, Robin. Sorry about that, Bob. That's right. Robin is my yeah. Robin is my call screener and producer extraordinaire. And and you know through the miracles of the internet, I'm sitting here in my home in Elmira, broadcasting. She's in her home in Springfield producing the show, and you're down in at Roby's Furniture in Florence as our guests.
0: That's so, right. Yeah, just amazing. And I never had uh, i I never had a Robin in all the years of doing Our Town. Uh, I, uh, I did have, uh, there was some on-air production assistants, and, and occasionally somebody did route calls, but for the most part, I did the vast majority of it all by myself, and it was, uh, it could be a little challenge sometimes. So. Yeah. Uh, I can yeah, remember the- when I first started doing that program back in 98, 99, it was an early experience, I'd ask a question, and uh, my guest was answering, and I got distracted and was just looking out the window. And next thing I know, there was silence because the question had been answered, and uh. I wasn't paying any attention. And I had no idea where we were at or what we were talking about at that point. So, oh,
1: yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, one of those sinking moments, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: after that, I decided I need to pay attention.
1: Yeah, yeah. I bet yeah. a life lesson learned in that moment. Um, yeah. what were some of the yeah. weirdest stories you covered? I mean, you, I mean, ducks crossing the highway, making national news is yeah. pretty weird, but was there, was there anything else really on the, the strange and bizarre side that you covered during your 18 years?
0: Yeah, you know, I know. I know there were, and once again, you know, I'm not very exciting in this regard because uh, I, I I can't think of it because there's so just the sheer volume. I you know I did uh, you know a newscast actually aired them six times a day on two different stations, but three, four, or five stories a day, five days a week, uh, for. Sixteen years, so hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of stories, and I honestly <laughs> I can't think of any examples to tell you about. I could probably go back and uh, I did keep digital files of the last several years so I, I should but they're all on a different drive that I'd have to plug in I should have got those out and scrolled through them and looked at them. but um, I'm looking yeah. at things like uh, oh man. You know, odd, uh, odd. Yeah, I just odd house fires. Sometimes uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, though. But I I know there were things that we that occurred. But I'm just kind of basically I'm a dull and boring guy, and uh, don't know what to talk about
1: most. Yeah, don't know what to talk about, but you could probably fill
0: an hour without any help. Well, yeah, I did tell you yesterday when we were setting us up. You said, you know, I didn't have to stay and visit the whole hour if I didn't want to. And I said, well, we'll just talk until both of us run out of words. And your response to that was,
1: yeah, we 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 would be there for a long time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Both of us have the ability. Both both of us
1: have the ability to talk.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, you can give me a topic, and I can I can. I can fill it in for you. Um, we've had uh, a lot of... I've seen a lot of changes in Florence over the years, not just in the last 16 years with the radio station. but And I think that was what helped helped me uh, do my job because I have seen so many changes, and I knew the backstory on so many different things. And I'm sure that people get tired of me saying about... You know, they would bring up something about... Uh, Maybe a particular building or a, a particular uh, policy in town, and I would I would say, well, yeah, you know, they used to do it this way, and then somebody decided they wanted to do it this way, and the or this business was in that building, and then they moved out to another one over here, and so that one was vacant for a while, and then it housed this. And, and my favorite was always somebody moved to town, and I'd ask them where they're living, and they they tell me where they live, and I'd say, oh, that used to be so and so's house. <laughs> <laughs> And they would just look at me like, OK, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to stalk you. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, so, you know, one of the, the, the issues, you know, you talked about we log earlier. How many um, mm-hmm. tsunami warnings and actual tsunami surges did you cover over 16 years, do you think?
0: Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, and actually, I'll go back further than that. I heard a news story today about the 1964 Alaska Good Friday quake. Um, was uh-huh. one that really focused Americans uh, or the U.S. on uh, um, the geophysics of, of of the Earth in our area. And of course, that was a It was an earthquake that caused a major underwater landslide near Anchorage. It did a lot of damage in Anchorage, but it triggered a tsunami wave that came right down the west coast and uh, killed, I think, two or four people who were camping on the beach near nearport, including some children, and then killed six or eight people in Crescent City, California. Um, and that was the first one that people really were aware of, I think, in, in modern history. And they're like, oh, but that really got uh, scientists focusing on, oh, this sort of stuff can happen. But w- the first one happened, uh, I think it was an in 06, uh, the December 26th, uh, the Indonesian quake. Uh, do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. You were out here on the West Coast that time, weren't you? Uh, yeah. That yeah. really. That triggered the monitor. Was it 05 or 06? Anyway, it's about 12, 12 years ago. That was the first one, and then from there, about six months later, there was a, there was a, a misfire of a tsunami warning that turned out to be um, accidental triggering that got a lot of people up, excited about it. Um, and then there were a few more. I think we've had two or three that I can recall, including one about five years ago that didn't ever really materialize here, but did wind up doing quite a bit of damage down in Brookings, and, and, um, that was after the Fukushima quake, uh, which was about, what, five years ago, I think it was now, and never really materialized here, but that, I mean that got a lot of people's attention. You know most of them don't result in anything um, and people don't really understand it's a a very inexact science in trying to predict something like that or or what is actually going to happen, but I've seen every bit of reaction from when the the warning goes out and says you know stay away from the beaches go to high ground if you live or are in an area near a beach or an inundation zone and that instantly brings people out who first thing they do is go to the beach because they want to see <laughs> it and i'm think i'm thinking you know i've seen videos uh, i don't think i want to do that uh, there was one yeah. many many years ago it was a tsunami warning and people lined the bridge I guess they wanted, to, yeah. they wanted to see that wave coming up the river. I'm like, nah, I don't think so. That's, I'll just yeah. I'll go over here up on this hill and wait. Yeah, but the responses, different responses of people over the years have been pretty interesting about how they how they prepare for it, and that's that's one of the the big changes I saw over the past decade and a half was how people are prepared much more, and they talk much more about tsunamis and earthquake preparedness than they ever did. I remember when it was first being talked about publicly, getting a lot of attention, there were a lot of people who didn't want to talk about it because they were afraid it would scare off visitors. Uh, and they mm-hmm. would not come here because they'd be afraid of getting caught in a tsunami or an earthquake. And then I think the, the more rational people said, no, we just need to talk about it and be upfront about it so people are prepared if they do come. They're going to come anyway. Uh, and we're going to be doing a great disservice if we don't prepare ourselves and if we don't let other people know what to do if they if they encounter something like that while they're here.
1: Yeah, and and, and to be truthful, people are more likely to come if they feel like the community they're coming to is preparing for the natural uh, events that might overtake that community, you know, h- yeah. how many people would 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 go to, uh, you know, any place that suffers earthquakes regularly if they didn't know that they they were paying attention to building codes and all that. You know, you would you kind of avoid those areas that don't don't have a building code and are also Earth. earthquake.
0: Yeah. Or, or telling people when you check into a motel, and there's some motels in Florence that do this, and they're very, they're very thorough about it. If you, if you check into the motel, the River House Inn is one that I know for sure. That's right down on the river. And when you check in, you get tsunami evacuation information right then and there. Uh, so that if, you know, something happens, rather than not preparing you, not warning you if something happens and then you don't know what to do, uh, they're telling you, hey, if this happens, you just get your stuff and walk uphill, or don't get your stuff, uh, walk uphill. They've also been that organization's also been a leader in in business preparation because they realize if something happens, all their business records are down in the inundation zone. So they've been they have worked over the years to to get record storage away from that location and how they would continue in business after a large-scale earthquake a tsunami, and tsunami and a lot of businesses in the community. Florence area has really, really been a model to a lot of other communities on the coast on how to prepare, not, not just for the immediate response, but for how to recover afterwards.
1: Yeah, I, I think they have too. I, I, you know, since being a commissioner and also being an engineer and having that sort of uh, be prepared, belt and suspenders, uh, engineer sort of attitude, I've I paid attention. And, and uh, Florence community has been really good about recognizing the, the risks they have and trying to prepare for them, which is, you know, good to see and, and a healthy thing to see. And, and not talking about it because you're afraid it might scare off some tourists um, is probably actually uh, working against you in some ways because people are Oh, people I aren't do. stupid. Yeah, yeah. people yeah. know that the West yeah. Coast is susceptible to, to tsunami. Um, yeah, you know the New Yorker definitely put that out there, national news. Um, but it's it's. Uh, I think they've done a good job of you know with the blue lines on the roads and and uh, the other things they've done where you know it, it's you know pretty well known how to you know where you have to go to get out of the inundation zone and and um, you know what to do when you hear the sirens you know the business con- continuity plans uh off-site record storage yeah that's all all important things every business should be thinking about that
0: right yeah. you know, and our, and, our, our, our and the local the local officials it, it's local officials and, and we log members uh, which are the ambulance and fire and police agencies in the city and school dish all that one other thing they've they have been very vocal about is okay we're talking about earthquake and tsunamis uh, but we're far more likely to suffer a significant storm in the winter time so you know we don't care the reason you put together a you know a disaster preparedness kit just do it and a lot of people have seen the earthquake and tsunami as a that's a good reason, because it shocks them enough to say, oh, I need to be ready for that. But you're much more likely to go maybe three four days without power um, in the wintertime because of a storm. than I mean, that's far more likely to happen than, than an earthquake or tsunami. So we need to be prepared for that sort of thing, too
1: yeah i think i think everybody in eugene last winter that had prepared for maybe the big earthquake or something like that was pretty happy when we had that ice storm that they might have done a little preparation because there are people that that didn't have power for seven to eight days in that one
0: yeah absolutely that's right yeah
1: yeah having some non-perishable food stuffs uh alternate seat you know heat source all that you know some water on hand all those mm-hmm. things are just important things to prepare. So yeah. getting down to about the last five minutes of the Bo's Nose Show here with my guest, Bob Sneddon, former news director at Coast Radio in Florence. Anything else you know you wanna tell my audience about, you know, your your uh, career there at, at Coast Radio? Yeah, you know, just, you know, you talked about how the communities changed in, in Florence and all, you know, it, you know, is there something about those changes you know what what what's you know some of the significant events you know like the 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 spotted owl listing or anything like that that you remember making major changes in your community
0: well you know what uh, the, one of the things that i saw over the years and i will point to a specific case in point there's city of florence had a had a grant from uh Oregon department of transportation it was actually federal highway Grant money that was going through ODOT. And it was to put a multi use path along Rhododendron and Drive, and it would have gone from the area from about 9th Street, uh, which is over by a, a Peace, Peace Harbor Medical Center, and then north on and Drive through the Green Trees neighborhood uh, and out towards the river. They had received the grant to do the planning, and it was a long term process. And it was a process that Started off with a lot of community involvement, and then it kind of morphed over time. And by the time they're getting ready to do the construction, a lot some of the people in the community said, "Hey, wait a minute! This isn't what we talked about four years ago." And the and the it was a nice, good it was a great-looking project, but it would have taken a lot of extra trees out. Uh, <laughs> uh... along that and it cost a lot of privacy for some people in that area and just the reaction to people in the community when they realize that and how they got involved and i'm not saying it was the city's fault for not keeping people involved because more often than not people lose interest or they don't pay attention and they don't see what's going on and the people who remain that make the decisions and do the plans are acting you know, with pure heart and, you know, with the interest of what they see the community wants or, or needs. But a lot of times if the community is not directly involved, it, it may not match what the community wants. And so I would see things happen where there'd be a process planning. In this case, with the with the, the extended youth path, the community got involved and in vocal, and the project got changed and scaled back, and they came, they came out with a really good alternative in the long run, Um, but it caused a lot of community angst and a lot of people were upset on both sides of the issue that it really didn't need to be if everybody just remains engaged and involved and pays attention.
1: Yeah, and and in fact, um, on the 10th, I think they're going to have the grand opening of that revised PATH project down there in Florence. think they're going to
0: well and actually start that's somewhere. that's for the yeah for the next project after that because they completed the highway 101 to to 11th streets uh, improvements that connect up with that uh, and so yeah. it's it's a good project all the way through yeah
1: yeah it, it's a, it's an example of kind of people losing track of a project and and then but ultimately once people got reengaged they did you know, change the project, and it got back to what people originally yeah. thought it was going to be, So it's kind of yeah, a yeah. And
0: I've I've seen that sort of thing happen over the years. Uh, people would would get engaged late, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not pay attention until late, and and I I have seen a couple of projects derailed over the years for that very specific reason. So yeah, I've seen yeah. all kinds of well, different I've... plans for different things in the community that have never taken place. Uh, and some of them were pretty good. Some of them weren't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I even think there's a former county commissioner whose who's career was practically derailed over um, plans to, to, you know, which seemed like a good idea at the time to get rid of some surplus county property um, across the, the river from Florence and, uh, and, and sell it off
0: uh, that, private ownership. that was certainly that certainly became an issue, uh, uh, or you'd say parks wound up with with that eventually. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Certain things that you you if you don't have enough people involved or people aren't really aware of what's going on, and it's everybody's responsibility. You know, from you as a county commissioner, you'll you know that it's your job to get people involved and let them know. But you also know. There's a lot of times you're talking to a blank wall because yep. people well, just, just aren't listening or paying attention.
1: Bob, yeah. uh, we got to wrap it up here. I really appreciate you coming on the Bo's Nose Show today. All right, Jay. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for being my guest. Uh, and uh, hang on a minute, and I'll uh, talk to you after we get off the air here. Everybody, thank I'll you for on. listening to the Show. All right.